Praise the Lord indeed. If I can ask you to stand, please, for the reading of the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. I'd like to reread the text that was read in Romanian this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. The coming of the Lord. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words, amen. And please be seated. It is so awesome to be in the presence of God at church with the brothers and sisters and worshiping him who is worthy of it all. That song just transported us into the presence of God and understanding that Jesus Christ owns it all. He created it all. And he is the Lord of all creation. And the day is coming, beloved, when the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. He's Lord over America. He's Lord over the elections. He's Lord over the governments of the world. He is Lord over diseases and viruses. He is Lord over everything. Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. And that brings joy to our hearts. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Glory to Jesus. And we walk in that strength that comes from the joy of the Lord. Beloved, the message that I have on my heart this morning is exactly what the title of the text is. In fact, in the scripture, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The most awesome and momentous day since Calvary is yet to be fulfilled and revealed. And we draw so near to it. And we live, and I believe, in the last days of the last days. Because the apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 2, when he began preaching, the gospel to those around who were confused and even mocking what was happening, the coming of the Holy Spirit. He stood and, and, and interpreted the Bible. He took the prophecy of Joel and said, men of Judea, brothers and sisters, this is what he prophesied, the, the prophet Joel, about the coming of the Lord, about the day of the Lord and what will happen preceding the day of the Lord, which is that God will pour out his spirit over all flesh. Glory to God. So the last days began with what Peter said back then, that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy through the prophet Joel. But yet, 2,000 years later, we see many of the signs that Christ has given us in Matthew 24 and 25 
that are about to or have already been fulfilled. The most awesome and the greatest day in human history since Calvary is at hand. This is not spiritual science fiction or religious science fiction, beloved. This is not a uh, topic of uh, eschatology or arguing amongst ourselves as far as the, the things that have to do with eschatology and the second coming of Christ. We know for a fact that the Bible tells us, no matter what view we hold as far as when, because the day and the hour the Bible tells us clearly, don't even look for it because it's not known to anyone, not even the year maybe. Not even the decade. We don't know. But the, the Bible does tell us, be watchful. Jesus says, look at the times and the seasons around you. Because you're not sons of the darkness that that day will catch you as a thief in the night. First Thessalonians. For you, my people, Jesus says, you are sons of the day. You know what I've told you. I'm telling you these things so that no one may deceive you, Matthew 24, but you are to know and you are to keep watch and you are to be ready at any point. So we are to be ready and that's the most important thing that we can take as far as the coming of the Lord because not only is he at hand, but our departure from this earth can happen at any moment. Any one of us can go at any time and we are to be ready. Because eternity is what it's all about, beloved. Eternity is what it's all about. The word this morning already touched our hearts, and I bless God for Pastor Simi in sharing practical things with us. And we think of our parents who worked very hard for us to, to have what we have. Many of our parents, and they came here with Zeche Valize, Zeche Kopi. No facultate, no degrees, no prospects, your suta de dollar in buzunar dakovut. And God blessed us here in this nation. God blessed us. Glory to God. It's not our wisdom, it's not our degree, it's not our ambition, it's the blessing of God. The blessing of God upon our parents, receiving their prayers. But beloved, we in this prosperous time in our suburban homes, as, as Pastor Simi shared with us this morning, with our accounts in the bank pretty stacked and the, the heated seats in the cars and all the luxuries of life that we could ever dream of, machines that do everything for us now, even vacuum our home, you just turn it on and let it go and it vacuums your home for you. All of these things tend to to take our eyes, our focus, our hearts, and put them down here. And the Bible is reminding us this morning that the coming, the second coming of the Lord is at hand. It is the day when the one who is the image of the invisible God makes himself visible. It is the day when the one who created the firstborn of all creation re-enters his creation physically we speak of him and we see him through the spirit of god of jesus christ and we have our eyes of the spirit our eyes of the heart enlightened to see him spiritually but there comes the day when faith and hope fall away no more faith no more hope he comes and we will see him as he is hallelujah what a day that will be 
He won't need hope anymore. He won't need faith. He will be here. The Bible tells us that that's the day when the Holy One of God comes to be glorified in his saints and marveled at in, on all those who believed in him, marveled at by those who believed in him. It's a day of judgment upon the Antichrist, the beast, the Bible calls him, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness who will be on the earth and in charge of the world. And the structures of globalism are, are in place. They have been. We see it now more than ever. God knows what he's doing through every man and every politician or not politician that he raises up to expose to us corruption in the highest places, to expose to us that the, the structure of globalism is already in place. And the man of sin, the Antichrist, when he will come, he will take charge of these structures and he will rule the world and he will gather the armies of the world that the Bible tells us. Right before the moment of the coming of Christ, they'll all be around Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that this man, the Antichrist, will not be defeated by a, an army, by another king, by another president, but by Christ himself. Glory to Jesus. When he comes... It's a day of judgment upon the Antichrist and the followers and worshipers of the beast. It's a day when Christ, the faithful one in righteousness, judges and makes war. Revelation 19 tells us this, beginning with verse 12, that Jesus Christ, in his day, when he comes, the Bible says, Revelation 19:11. And then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. He will tread from his mouth, verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Glory to Jesus. The day of his return is coming. The apostle Peter told us this, and the apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica writes uh, more about the coming of the Lord than to any other church that he writes to. We find so much teaching of the second coming of Christ in 1 Thessalonians and then in 2 Thessalonians almost exclusively that short letter. If you look at it, beginning with chapter 2, he writes about the Antichrist, chapter 2 and 3. He writes about the second coming of the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians. Why? He writes to them because the Thessalonians, the Bible shows us, received the word of God and were under persecution. If you flip the page to chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5 and verse 6, actually verse 6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. And if we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus 
is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He writes to the Thessalonians because the Thessalonians were struggling with the will of God for themselves. And, and the Bible shows us that the Apostle Paul reminds them in that same chapter that we read, the will of God for you is your sanctification. And the Thessalonians were struggling with sanctification. Under duress, under, under persecution even, some of them were still struggling with the will of God for them. And the apostle writes to them, telling them that the will of God for them is their sanctification. The Thessalonians struggled with sexual immorality. They struggled with controlling their own bodies in holiness and honor. They battled the passion of lust and transgressing against one another. If we flip or go just a few verses higher than the verses that we read, 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning with verse 3. For the will of God, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. The Thessalonians were struggling with these things and the Apostle Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, writes to them about these things but then focuses their attention on the coming of the Lord. The second return, the second coming of the Lord Jesus. He draws their attention there. And they were also struggling finally with the, and battled against confusion regarding the coming of the Lord. And the, the apostle says, we don't want you brothers to be uninformed. We don't want you brothers to be uh, without knowledge regarding the coming of the Lord. In many aspects, the Thessalonians battle against the same things that we battle against. We battle against the same things. Sexual immorality, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, all the things that are in the world are comprised in these three descriptions and they pass away. They pass away. The world and everything in it passes away. But he who does the will of God abides or remains forever. Glory to God. So the Thessalonians in many aspects were just like us and we are just like them. And the apostle reminds them that the will of God is their sanctification. As the Bible teaches us in Hebrews 12, 14, and, and tells us to strive for peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord without holiness. Hebrews 12, 14 makes it very clear no holiness, no heaven. No holiness, no seeing the Lord. So he teaches the Thessalonians, moved by the Holy Spirit in this regard, to wage war against and battle against sexual immorality, the passion of lust, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, gossip, slander, wronging their brothers, wage war against these things, fight these things, do everything that you can under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he tells them, to wage war against and battle against. And all of this, keeping your focus on the return of Jesus Christ, knowing that he is coming soon. And then he begins to describe what will happen at the coming of the Lord, which is what I want to get into in the next 
minutes that we have uh, in front of us. What happens at the coming of the Lord? So he tells them all this and then draws their attention and says in verse 13, we don't want you, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep and those who have passed in Christ. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And now in verse 16 and below, 15 and 16 and below, he begins to describe what will happen at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that happens at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is seen in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump sound of the trumpet of God, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The first thing that happens at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is that the Lord himself comes back and re-enters his creation physically, not spiritually, but physically. He comes and the Apostle John tells us that we don't know what we will be like, but when he comes, we will be like him and we will see him as he is. Glory to Jesus. At the second coming of the Lord, he's not sending an angel. He's not coming spiritually. He re-enters his creation physically, observable, in a visible public manner. A cry of command. A cry of command with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the sound of the trumpet of God. Jesus Christ comes back. If one of these guys, if I would ask them to pick up a trumpet right now and just you know, blow a few notes at the top of your lungs, I think that they will get everybody's attention, even those in the balcony that are on their phones. They'll, it will get their attention. When the trumpet of God sounds, beloved, when the trumpet of God sounds, there's nothing secret about that. Everybody at once will pay attention. When Jesus Christ returns, he re-enters creation physically. And the trumpet of God sounds and everything that's all the motion of the universe and even this earth with all the little boxes in, with wheels which we are you know, crammed into and go to the bigger box made of glass at our, our offices which we have so much pride and invest so much time and build a career and invest in our retirement funds and all of that stuff and then come back to our, the other box in which we live and all of these things will freeze. The trumpet of God will sound. All eyes will see him, Matthew 24. All eyes will be cast on him. And the rich and the powerful and the kings of the earth will, rock, will, will, will run to the rocks and the mountains and try to hide in their bunkers, in their basements, I don't know where, saying, hide us from him who sits on the throne and the lamb for the day of their wrath has come. At the second coming of the Lord, Jesus Christ himself re-enters creation physically. The kingdom of God is manifested at that time in both its spiritual dimension and its physical dimension. The kingdom of God was already inaugurated. It's here. Luke 17, 20 tells us that. Romans 14, 17 tells us that. 
The kingdom of God, Matthew 4 tells us that when Jesus went around preaching the gospel saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Luke 17, 20, he tells the Pharisees when they ask him, when will your kingdom come? And he says, my kingdom will not come in a way, in a matter that you'll see here it is or there it is for my kingdom is in the midst of you. Another translation says, my kingdom is within you. The kingdom of God in its spiritual dimension has been already inaugurated. And it's in every one of us that are children of the king. Glory to God. It's here. And we are, we are beings that live in two dimensions simultaneously. And no rational human being can deny that. We live in the physical domain, but we also live right here, right now in the spiritual domain. There's a physical entity to our being, but there's a spiritual entity to our being as well. Our soul and our spirit, the inner man, the inner being, is just as real, if not more real, than this body. Beloved, this body will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the least important aspect of my being. Flesh and blood, 1 Corinthians 15, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This body must be transformed, as we will see. That's another thing that happens at the coming of the Lord. Stop paying so much attention to it. Stop obeying its lusts. Stop obeying its passions, its appetites. Stop making it all about the body and, and your flesh. Understand that the spiritual entity within you cries out, for that is the eternal part of you that never dies. You and I live in two dimensions right here, right now. In the physical domain, we interact with each other and the world around us through our five senses, hearing, seeing, smelling, taste, touch. But at the same time, we have a soul and we have a spirit. And for today's uh, sermon, I'm not going to go into that. I, I do see them as separate in the Bible, at least in a few places. It shows them the spirit and the soul as separate. But we'll call them the inner being. And we function in the spiritual realm whether we like it or not we are influenced by the spiritual domain emotions have a toll on our body emotions are abstract think about the brain and the mind they're not the same when God takes back his breath that he gave us in the garden of Eden and that that handful of dust became a living soul the Bible says when he breathed into us the breath of God when he takes that back this body falls to the ground. This body has nothing left in it. And the brain is still there. It's an organ in our heads, but it no longer functions. The mind is gone. The soul is to the body what the, brain, what the mind is to the brain. The body is just the hardware. The soul and the spirit, the inner being, is the software of our existence, of our being. And we function even here and now simultaneously in these two dimensions, the physical domain and the spiritual domain. And blessed are those who understand and live in the spiritual domain in the presence of God in the here and now. Glory to God. The second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, what happens at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? He, Jesus himself, he himself re-enters his creation physically and the kingdom of God is manifested physically. He brings with him the kingdom of God, and we will see it. He's going to remove this curtain that, that blinds us 
to see it with our physical eyes. But the Bible tells us that things that the eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, the mind of man has not imagined, such are the things that he prepared for those who love him. And the very same deep things of God, the Spirit takes today and reveals to those who love him. Glory to God. He reveals to us what is to come to the point where we become enamored with them, with the things to come and the giver of the things to come the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then we set our lives and our minds on that because we have died and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Set your hope on that, the Bible teaches us. Glory to Jesus. When he is revealed, your life and my life will finally be revealed. It's so hard for us in America today. It's so hard to be a Christian in America today where the spirit of Babylon has intoxicated so many of us even those sitting in church pews for years, even those who are calling themselves Christians for decades. The spirit of, of Antichrist, the Bible tells us, was already at work. And it's so hard to be a Christian in America today. When Brother Simeon was preaching, I went back in my mind in, the, in, in, in Romania where I grew up, up until 12 years old, thinking how none of these things were there for us. We had it so much, I would say, easier in a way. The flesh is the flesh. It's going gonna, it's gonna to seek to dominate us no matter where. But when we eliminate some of these things, many of you young kids and uh, in your 40s, may I say, are addicted. Many of us are addicted to our phones. The first thing we do when we wake up is we pick up that phone. And let's see what's on WhatsApp, what's on Instagram, what's on uh, Twitter, what's on uh, so many social media, mediums that are just bombarding, especially in this day and age. Everybody's sending, and I'm guilty of that too, to a certain extent, so I'm not pointing fingers. The first thing that we do is, well, what, what happened? What did the Supreme Court say? What else happened? Beloved, let's not lose focus of what is really important. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Glory to Jesus. And when he comes, he enters his creation, re-enters his creation physically and manifests the kingdom of God in a physical manner. The second thing that happens when the Lord returns at the second coming of the Lord is given to us in verse 16. At the end of the verse 16, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Another thing that happen, happens when Jesus Christ returns is there's the first resurrection takes place. The dead in Christ, those of our uh, loved ones who have passed away and died in Christ because they lived in Christ and they died in Christ, they will be raised bodily speaking. Their bodies will be raised from the grave. From the sea, uh, dare I say, even those that were cremated will be raised because nothing is lost to God. Not a single cell, a, a, a molecule or an atom of our being is ever lost to God. And they will be raised bodily, those who are in Christ and have died in Christ. This is the second thing that happens at the return of Jesus Christ. The resurrection, the first resurrection takes place. This is the resurrection of those who are his. There's a second resurrection when all human beings that ever lived on the face of the earth are, are, are raised from the dead to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But this resurrection 
that the apostle is speaking here is what the Bible calls the first resurrection. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 5 and 6, and see what the Bible has to say there. Revelation 20, verse 5 and 6. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in this first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. The first resurrection takes place when Jesus Christ returns, when he comes and re-enters creation physically and brings the kingdom of God and manifests it in a physical manner, the first resurrection. Those who have died in Christ are, are risen, and Romans 8, also teaches us about that verse 10 and 11. Romans 8, verse 10 and 11, the Bible tells us, but if you are, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When Jesus Christ returns, there's a resurrection that takes place. And blessed are those who take part in that resurrection. Second death has nothing on them. When Jesus Christ returns, the third thing that happens is the saints that are alive are transformed. We who are alive, the Bible says in verse 17 of the text that we read, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And the Apostle Paul, the same man that writes the Holy Spirit through him, clarifies it in 1 Corinthians 15 and 50 through 53. And I want to read that. I tell you, brothers, 1 Corinthians 50, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there it is again, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. When Jesus Christ comes back, the saints are transformed. Those who are alive at his coming and are walking with Christ will be transformed. Their bodies, their physical bodies will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and we will put on immortality. This perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable, the glorious body that Jesus Christ already has, and we will be like him. In what aspects, in what manner exactly, we don't know. But the Bible tells us that when he comes, the saints who are alive on the earth will be transformed. And 1 John 3.2 tells us, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Glory to Jesus. When Jesus Christ returns, the saints that are on earth will be transformed. And together with those who are raised from the dead, we'll meet the air 
will meet the Lord in the air. That's the next thing that happens at the return of Jesus Christ. I already read the verse. We will meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds to meet, caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The church is caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The saints and the dead that have died in Christ. That's what happens at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Caught up, harpazo in Greek, the word that's used there, to be snatched away, to be taken away. As Brother Simeon was speaking, as the, the, the filings of iron from the sand just plucked up because the magnet is there. Jesus Christ will come, physically re-enter his creation, bring the kingdom of God in its physical manifestation to us. And those who are dead will be raised and those who are alive will be transformed. And together we are caught up and meeting the Lord in the air. In my view of this verse, I see nothing secret about this. This is, again, the trumpet of God blowing. Everybody's aware of it. And the saints are caught up and transformed. All believers will be caught up in the air, says one man of God in his commentary, to meet the Lord in the air. The word meet refers to the welcome given to a newly arrived magistrate by the leading citizens who gladly hurry out to meet him and then escort him back to the city. The same word that's used here to meet the Lord in the air, it's used in Acts 28, 15, when Paul was coming to Rome and the brothers, when they heard that Paul is coming to Rome, the Bible says that they went out to meet him as far as the forum of Apius in three ta taverns and then came back into Rome with Paul. It's the same word that's used there and it's the same concept. They come out because they heard that Paul is coming to Rome, so they come out to meet him and then come back into Rome with Paul. We will meet the Lord in the air and then come back with the Lord on the earth and the day of the Lord begins the Bible tells us the millennium the reigning of Jesus Christ which I believe and find in scripture is a physical 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth from Jerusalem he reigns with his church who will be in their glorified bodies already what will happen at the second coming of the Lord the Antichrist is defeated by Christ himself we touched upon that what else happens at the coming of the Lord the millennium begins the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on earth, described in Revelation chapter 20. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to go there. Beloved, there's a time when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem upon the earth. The thousand-year reign, the Bible describes it, the millennium given to us in Isaiah 2. There's Isaiah 11, verse 6 through 10. Isaiah 65 verse 19 through 22. Read these, please, and, and see that these describe a time period that is not possible other than when Jesus Christ reigns on the earth for a thousand years with his church, Zechariah 14 also. Jesus Christ took upon himself flesh, and he came into our world, and we're going to celebrate his coming into our world again in a few days here. As you sit around the table, and thank God for the blessings that he's given you with your family. Think and pray and ask the Lord to take you deeper than that. To look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. To look forward to the second coming of the Lord. To understand that your identity as a child of God is hidden with him. 
in Christ. You are hidden with Christ in God. And when he is revealed, so will our lives be revealed. And that's when our lives truly begin. Think about the second coming of the Lord. Be caught up in that. Study it from the Bible. Let the Holy Spirit take you deep in there. Jesus came into our world in, in flesh and blood. He entered creation, lived among us for 33 years or so died in his physical body among us, was risen from the grave in his physical body, in a glorified physical body, was ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is now with the glory that he had before the foundation of the earth. He sits there at the right hand of the Father waiting for that day when the Father tells him, go get your bride, go again, and he will re-enter creation physically and he comes to get you and I. He comes to take all of those who have set their minds not on the things of the flesh, but on the things of the Spirit. Uh, all of those who by the Spirit of God put to death the deeds of the body and walk with Him. All of those who, who would have loved His appearing, the Bible says. All of those who look forward to His appearing, let's stand before the Lord. All of those who anticipate with joy the coming of the Lord. We may not understand exactly when he comes. We may not understand all the sequence of events. And it's, I don't believe it's given for anyone to fully understand the sequence of events. We know for a fact, though, that he is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back physically on the earth, bringing with him the kingdom of God. If you happen to be alive when he comes, how will that day find you? I was twisting and turning last night and couldn't fall asleep till late. And I'm thinking, Lord, can I just sleep at least a few hours? And I'm thinking they're sitting in bed 67 years from now. Most of us will have gone through that door that's called biological death. This is not theory. None of us who is rational denies that death exists. We have loved ones that have died. We see it all around us. You too, 17, 18, 14, 15, young, you got your life ahead of you. Many of us have less than that. Maybe we have 30 or 40 years left. But let's say in, in about 70 years from now, every one of us would have gone through that door that's called biological death. Where will you spend eternity? This is not a joke. This is not yet another sermon or something that pastors and preachers find because they want to scare people into believing in Jesus Christ. You can believe or you cannot. It's up to you. Jesus Christ is coming back no matter what. Or you will go to him first or not. And that should be the overarching mindset that should be the overarching thing on your mind where will i spend eternity the kingdom of god is real we taste it we see it we interact with it through our spiritual senses and those of us that do are ready to lay our lives down for it because we know it's real and it's already in us, glory to God. And it's coming to be manifested in all its splendor, in all its beauty. And the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters covers the sea. How will that day find you? Where are you going when you pass through that door that's called biological death? For your spirit and your soul, the inner you, will live forever with or without Christ Matthew 7, 13, Jesus tells us, strive to enter 
by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and many are those who enter by it. But the way, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and few are those who find it. I invite you in this prayer, ending the service this morning, to come seriously before the Lord and ask him if you lost track, if you lost focus of the kingdom of God, that God would bring us back to that refocusing our life, refocusing our priorities, refocusing our meaning of life, to look for the second coming of the Lord, to look for us going to him, to understand that eternity is what it's all about. Let's come before the Lord in this prayer. Amen.